Our reading this morning continues on in Romans chapter 1, as we read the second half of the chapter, picking up in verse 16 and reading through to verse 32. Romans chapter 1, from verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameful, uh, shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to him for it this morning. People are constantly looking to change. This has been true ever since the very beginning, since the earliest days of mankind. People have constantly been looking for change in their own lives to move forward, to be better, to understand more, to have something that they don't currently have. It seems to be part and parcel of who we are as human beings. And you can see this today in uh, the world around us with all of our technology and with all of the wealth of our world more than perhaps at any other time. We live in a society where we are constantly told we need new things in order to be um, relevant, to be valued, to be uh, pleasing to other people. 
And whether that be clothes or certain kinds of food or lifestyles or whatever it might be, you don't need to look very far to see magazines, to see TV programs, to see websites. Instagram and Facebook are replete, just never-ending streams of people showing you the life that you could have if you just exercised in this way, if you styled yourself in that way, if you had the sort of healthy lifestyle and diet that I have, or whatever it might be. We constantly want to change. In a slightly darker side to our world at the moment, we see particularly among young people, this constant refrain that if you are not happy with who you are, then maybe it's because you are the wrong gender. And you can just change that with medication and with surgery, and that will make you happy. That will make you content. We live in a world where we're told if we're not happy when we're married, just get divorced, and that will solve that problem. We are constantly being told that whatever we desire our lives to be like, whatever we want, that is what we should have, regardless of the cost. We constantly seek change. Part of the reason we constantly seek change is there is something deep within us, as men and women, that says that we are not enough, that we are deficient that we're lacking in something, and if only we had that thing, then our lives would be better. We would be happy, content. We would be able to get from today into tomorrow without that gnawing sense of anxiety that we're just not good enough. As we come to Romans chapter 1, Paul acknowledges this head on that there is indeed not just the, the perception of a need to change, there is something within us, deeply rooted within us, that must change. Transformation must come if we are to be whole as men and women, if we are to be able to face the future content, whatever the future may happen to bring. But he makes it clear that there isn't a variety of different changes that needs to come to our life, diet and exercise and lifestyle and and the way that we look or the way that we think or whatever it might be, there is only one transformation that needs to happen. In uh, this passage, we're going to look at verse 16 through to 32, but we're going to just start at the moment in verse 18 and following, and we'll come back to 16 and 17 in just a moment. Because in verse 18, Paul tells us what the root of this problem is, the thing that needs to be changed, transformed. He begins by talking about the wrath of God that is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And this is the problem that needs to be addressed. This is where true transformation needs to come so that whatever it is in your life that you feel you are lacking, that if you just had this one thing you would be better, this is actually the root cause of that problem. And addressing this problem will begin to unpick all of these other issues that we feel we have. Paul says in verses 18 through to 23 that all creation has been made for one chief purpose, and that is for the worship 
of God. He talks about uh, the fact that God has revealed himself through creation to all people from the very beginning of time right through to today. And he says in these verses that God reveals his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, his very existence. And we've clearly understood this. Everything has been made to testify to the glory, the majesty of God. That is, everything, you and I and all of the created world, the entire universe has been made to testify to the amazing nature of God. And we can understand that as we look at creation. We look at the scale of the universe in all of its awesome size from the greatest size of the whole universe itself right down to the subatomic level. And we see the incredible beauty of everything, how everything from the smallest to the largest fits together and works. It all sustained, it all uh, operates together in one clear way. It's astonishing to think of a mind that can conceive of all of that and then has the power to fashion all of it from the the smallest to the greatest. It speaks of God's awesome power, of his attention to detail, of his understanding of the whole sweep of creation. And it tells us also of the beauty of God's nature, of his artistry, Who could conceive of something as beautiful as the whole created order? In all of its variety, in the way it interacts and holds together, it's amazing. And mankind from the very beginning has recognized this. Man has always looked to God. Man has always looked out with himself when he sees the night sky, when he sees the scale of of the world that we live in and its beauty and the way that that, that the mountains rise and the trees grow and the creatures all exist together. We have always recognized that there must be something beyond us that is able to, to fashion and create all of this complexity. The classical image that's been used is that if you have a watch, there must have been a watchmaker. It is inconceivable that something this complex can simply have fallen together by random chance, by happenstance, over a period of of billions of years or however long the current theory says the universe has, has been around for. It's not possible that something this complex can can have just fallen together. Creation testifies to the glory of God, and it speaks of His beauty, His power, His creativity, His majesty, and so on. The provision for us in nature tells us of God's love and care for us, that we are given this world to live in, that it sustains us, that we have food to eat and shelter from the elements, that God has fashioned this world in such a way that it is understandable to us. This is what drove the great scientists um, of previous centuries, like Isaac Newton, that we can go into the world and study it and expect to understand it because it has been fashioned by a logical mind, by a God who put all things in order when he created. And also, within the nature of 
our own awareness of God, we find that God has placed something, created something within us that speaks of His love and His care for us. He, in Genesis, makes us as the pinnacle of all creation greater than the animals because we recognize that there are such things as creatures and Creator. And the Creator needs something more than a simple acknowledgement of existence, as happens between creatures. The Creator deserves our complete devotion, love, worship, and adoration because He has provided all of this. Everything speaks of His desire to reveal Himself to us that we would know Him, know about Him, relate to Him, and engage in a back-and-forth relationship with Him. Now, all of this should lead us to be grateful. This is the purpose of the created world. All of this should lead us to give thanks. All of this should lead us to testify to the goodness of God. This is what worship is. And this is what we were made for. And Paul says in Romans 1, 18 to 23, this is what we are created for. And the problem that we have is that we deny this constantly. We claim to be wise. We claim to have great knowledge and depth of understanding, and yet because we reject this one great truth, this great reality that we exist to worship and glorify God, we become fools. We become not enlightened, but darkened in our understanding. And we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images Now, in the ancient world, the literal fashioning of idols in the form of golden calves or bulls or fish or whatever it may happen to be was commonplace. And we can look at that perhaps and sneer a little that we are so far beyond that now. And yet we do exactly the same. We were created to glorify God, and yet we glorify the creature, that's what Paul means here, rather than the creator. We glorify humanity. We glorify our autonomy, our wisdom, our learning, our place, our individual culture, or race, or gender, or whatever it might be. We constantly cast about for something to lift up on a pedestal and say, this is the focus of all our being. This is what we should worship. It is an idol. And this is where Paul goes next in 24 through to 32. He begins by saying that all creation has been made to worship God, and our problem is that we will worship anything but Him. And in 24 to 32, he says, we have all fallen to focus not on God, but on ourselves. And here is where transformation must come. This is the the root of the problem that we look to ourselves because we will not look to God. This is why in verse 18, Paul says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Because we are constantly denying God His rightful place in our lives. And because we have removed him from the center of our heart, we must find something else. And the natural one to fit into that is ourselves, 
something about us that we can fit in the place of God. This is where sin begins in the Garden of Eden, where the serpent tempts Eve and basically says to her that she should have the right to determine what is good and what is evil in the world, that God is selfishly reserving that right for himself, and she could elevate herself to be on a par, on a level with God. And this is what we've done ever since. We um, exchange God's glory, Paul says, uh, in verses 24 through to 32, basically for our own. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. This is the root of our problems. And because of that, we indulge constantly in sin that destroys and damages our lives instead of worshiping God, which builds up and enhances our lives. We exchange God's glory and uh, place with our own, with what we can make, with the created order around us, with control. This is what we worship more than anything else. And perhaps in light of this last year, what has been made so clear to us is the one thing in the West that we worship with complete devotion is safety. We will concede any rights to our government. We will give them whatever they want. We will let them rack up billions, trillions of pounds worth of debt for future generations to pay off because we want to be safe. And I'm not making any statement about the, the rightness or the wrongness about the way that the government has sought to deal with the, the coronavirus pandemic, but it's made us aware of just how far we will go to be safe from some threat that exists and we feel will overwhelm us. We worship safety. We worship control. And the reason is that ultimately we worship ourselves. We will do literally anything to protect ourselves but from what? From chaos? Well, yeah. But ultimately from death. We are terrified of dying because we have worshipped ourselves for so long and we have dethroned God. And because of that, we have no concept of the life that goes beyond the span of years that we have because we believe that life completely ends with death. There is nothing beyond it. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no eternity for us to live and uh, to experience. Because of that, we are terrified of our lives ending because this is all we have. I am all I have. And so we'll do anything to protect it. We do this because we want to be in God's place. We want to have control. How much frustration is expressed in the media about the, the COVID pandemic? How much have we expressed that frustration to one another? That we want this to be dealt with. We want it to be over. How can this be causing so much inconvenience? I want to go to my work. I want my kids to go to school. I want hospitals to function properly. We want constantly for there to be control over the created order. And it doesn't matter what we do. We can't control it. We think we have a handle on what coronavirus, what COVID-19 is, and up pops a UK-based variant, and then a South African variant, and then a Brazilian variant, and there will be variants without end. And once COVID is dealt with, there will be something else that comes along. There is no end. The reason that we worship 
this, that we place this at the center of our lives, that our glory is found in how we deal with stuff like this, is because we think that we are wise. We hear constant claims today that everyone before us was foolish and ignorant and had no understanding, whereas we are the enlightened ones that we truly understand what the foundation of humanity really is, that people of previous generations had their ideas, but today we truly know. And you can see this in the media as people want to tear down statues to people in the past and rename university buildings and courses and uh, change our history, ignore huge chunks of our history, both the history of the UK or the United States or wherever it may happen to be. We're ashamed of the past because it doesn't fit with our understanding of the present day. And so we should just dispense with it because we believe we are wise and people long ago were foolish. And so we know what we need today where nobody has before because we worship ourselves. We do this because we also don't want to be told that we're wrong. This is one of the things that we see constantly in social media. Wars fought between people, between groups, because they disagree as if there is something wrong with disagreement. And yet, in our culture today, we are telling one another that if you disagree with me, you hate me, you want to deny my very existence, and that is unacceptable. We don't want to face the reality that we might be wrong about our beliefs, about our lives, about this world around us. We cannot tolerate that, and so we must silence all opposition, every opponent. Paul addresses in this passage uh, a couple of things that touch very much on a a raw nerve today, same-sex attraction between women and between men. And Paul uses words that are not acceptable in our culture today, that they do what is shameful when they engage in these acts. Now, just to clarify what Paul is talking about here has been sort of written off in the past and in fact by some today, as being um, abusive relationships. You know, older men abusing younger boys, for example, is a common uh, explanation for why this passage is just not relevant to today. It doesn't speak to our situation today. But that is simply not the case. Paul is talking about men who are engaging in relationships with each other just as if they were engaging in a relationship with a woman. And he says exactly the same about women who engage in relationships with one another. He says when they do this, they are going against the order that God created mankind to have. And they do this because of sin that sits in their heart and says, you should satisfy whatever desires you have, regardless of what that means. God has created an order for relationships, but just change it because of the way that you feel. And it's not acceptable for anyone to say that this is wrong today because we don't want to hear that we're wrong because that means you hate me. And what Paul would say here is not coming from a a place of hatred. What Paul would say when he says that these are unnatural relationships that do damage to a society, not bring blessing, Paul is saying this in order to make 
the believers aware that for their good they should leave this aside and live in accordance with the order that God has created, because God truly does know best. They don't. And that is the heart of what he's saying. Transformation must come to sinful people because God knows best. And as you live every day denying that God knows best, you will only bring corruption and damage to yourself because we embody sin. We let it take root and control our lives. It is part of our nature. And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, because every time we indulge in sin, sinful thoughts, words, deeds, we are expressly denying the place of God in our lives. And God can't have that, because that's not what He created this world to be. We find in verse 16 and 17 the solution to this problem, the place where real transformation ultimately comes. This has been described as the the linchpin of the whole Bible. Uh, Certainly, it is the book of Romans. Um, In a nutshell, Paul spends the rest of the books of unfolding and unpacking this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this is Paul's expression of God's solution to our problem. This is how we can be transformed, how sin can be put to death, and we can live a new life that worships and glorifies God that is centered upon the one where true meaning, purpose, and satisfaction is found. God lifts us up and brings us transformation by the power of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this good news. I don't think this is quaint, that this is something that, that, that people um, sneer at um, because it, it's foolish or silly or outmoded or whatever it might be, and therefore I hold back from, from sharing with you. I'm not ashamed. And people did heap scorn on the gospel that this, that believing in Jesus would somehow bring any transformation in Paul's day as they do today. It's lovely that you want to call yourself a Christian, but don't start talking about Jesus transforming your life. That's just a nonsense. It's laughable. Paul's not ashamed of the good news. Paul is not ashamed because it is okay to ask for help. He recognizes, and he's going to say in the book of Romans, I just can't stop sinning. It doesn't matter how hard I try. I keep falling into this particular ditch, and I just can't stop it. I wish I could, but I can't. What am I to do? And he says in chapter 7, well, thanks be to God, because he is the one who comes and hears my cries and lifts me up and brings transformation to my life. It's okay to ask for help. It's, it's not something we need to be ashamed of, that we're not enough of in and of ourselves, because we all testify to that every day. This is why we want the new clothes, the cosmetic surgery, the big car, the, the, the money from the job, whatever it might happen to be, the new body, the new look. We constantly testify to the fact that we need help to be who we think we ought to be. Well, Paul says the only one who can help, the only one it makes sense to call out to, is God himself. I'm not ashamed of crying out to God for help. 
We can be ashamed to admit that we believe this stuff. And yet, it is the only source of our hope. Um, So Paul says, I don't care how foolish I look, I'm going to cry out to God because I can't find this transformation anywhere else. No one's powerful enough. No plan, no diet, no lifestyle renovation is going to be sufficient to the task of changing who I am in my very core, at the the center of my being. And it's for all who believe, he said. So we shouldn't be ashamed of it, and it is for anyone. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, what your parents brought you up to believe, what kind of school you went to. None of that matters. All that matters is that you are able to hear the good news of the gospel and respond to it. It is for anyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, what he's saying is everyone in the world, all people everywhere, the gospel has gone first to the Jews as Jesus was the Jewish Messiah and the disciples spread the gospel to the the, the Jewish people, but it is spread out into the whole world. So all people is available to all. There is none who is more or less worthy. We are all on a level playing field. So it doesn't matter what your problem is what you're trying to address in your life. It doesn't matter in what area of life you want transformation to come. Anyone can come and be changed by God. It is for all who believe. That is, it is all who desire it and who call out to God and ask for it and who trust that He will provide that transformation. Not simply those who say with their lips they want it, but who believe it will come. It is for all who believe. If we ask in earnestness that God will come and change us, then Paul says, God will. And the reason for this, the reason Paul isn't ashamed, the reason he has such hope, is because God loves to do this work. God really loves to do it. It is an expression of who He is, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed, Paul says. That is all His goodness, His glory, His love, His mercy, His grace. It is all expressed as He lifts us from death and gives us new life, because that is the kind of God He is, the one who loves life and joy and beauty and satisfaction and peace and perfection. And God sacrifices his own son in order to achieve this change in your life, that you would know him and worship him, serve him with with everything you have. That's how far he was willing to go, and it speaks of his love towards us, that that is the length he was willing to go to. God is the only one who knows what is needed. He is the only one who is capable of providing it. And it's revealed to us by faith so that we may continue to walk in faith and grow in the faith that we have in Christ our Savior so that we may not stay where we are, that our transformation may be ongoing, that we might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we'll be more mature tomorrow than we were today. That is how good God is. He does this work because He loves to do this work, to bring transformation to your life. And if you trust in Him, He will do so. God loves to do that work. 
and will change you completely inside and out. When we live by faith, Paul says, we are transformed. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He quotes Habakkuk 2 here to say that when we have this faith that comes as a gift from God, that is the root of our transformation. As God begins to shape us and change us, so we are able to live in a righteous way, i.e. a way that corresponds with who God is. That is, we are able to worship God with every fiber of our being through our simple existence as those who've been transformed by Christ. Transformation does need to come. We are all looking for transformation in our lives. But the only true and meaningful and lasting transformation that must come is the one that changes us from those who oppose God, who seek to take His place, to those who love God and worship Him. That is what we were created to be. We must get to the root of our problem. Your issue is not dissatisfaction with the way that you speak or with the kind of body that you have or the way that you feel. Your root problem is that you are living in opposition to the one who made you. And if you address that problem, you will find true transformation comes that goes way beyond some new lifestyle or diet or body or anything else that you might desire. And it will reveal the goodness and the glory of God. You will worship God as you were created to do in the first place. And all of this comes through the death of Jesus on the cross for your sins. That you cast yourself upon him, ask for forgiveness, ask to place your sins at his feet that they might be wiped away completely. And then live in faith, trusting that he will lead you and guide you. Seek true transformation that comes only from the one who knows you best, and you will find it. Amen.